Good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you today, um, to come back to the mothership, as I like to call it. Um, as Dennis said, uh, I was a member of the first graduating class. I really think the only two people in the room who care about that are Brian Brewer and myself, who, are, who, were, who was also in the graduating class. I've always resented Brian. Uh, Dr. Brewer, I should tell you that because his name begins with the letters B-R and mine began with C-O, which made him actually technically the first graduate of Truett Seminary, and me the third. I've always held that against him. Um, One of the things, one of the gifts that you're given when you are an alumni of an institution is you can come back with a sense of freedom. So I want to see if I can stir up a little bit of controversy as I began this morning by asking you to participate a little bit with me. I want to give you a set of choices that you can decide between, and I want, depending on which choice you make, I want you to express your choice with some applause, okay? This is how it's going to work. For instance, when you come to Truett Seminary and you're not from the Republic of Texas, there are things that you have to get used to, like, for instance, as I was talking with someone from North Carolina last night, what actually is barbecue? So the first choice that I'd like you to make is to answer this question for me. Those of you who believe that barbecue is beef will be able to applaud on the first uh, question that I ask. And those of you who believe that barbecue is pork will do so on the second. All right, you understand? All right, so those of you who believe barbecue is beef, if you would let it be known with your applause. All right, how many of you believe that barbecue is pork? All right, about 50-50. All right, good to know. This one I suspect will also be somewhat controversial. I'm looking forward to watching the professor's faces on this one. Those of you who believe that scriptures classes are the best classes and those of you who believe that theology classes are the best classes. All right, are you ready? The professors are looking around, okay? I'm sure your grades will not at all be held hostage depending on how you applaud. Those of you who believe that scriptures classes are the best classes, please show your applause. Oh, and those of you who believe that theology classes are the best classes. Oh, some of you, some of you are a little scared, I can tell. It's kind of anemic applause. All right, I started off with some easier ones before I got to ones that might make you feel a little more uncomfortable. All right, let me go in a slightly different direction with this set of questions. If I asked you if you had to choose between being a card-carrying member of the ACLU versus being a card-carrying member of the NRA, all right, I want you to express which one you'd choose with your applause. Are you ready? You have to choose, okay? No being afraid. I'm fairly certain no one is going to take note of your answers, all right? Those of you who would choose to be a member of the ACLU, show of applause. All right, those of you who choose to be a member of the NRA, show your applause. I see now we're getting somewhere. All right, one more step in that direction. Let's see how uncomfortable I can make you this morning. This is seminary. Who knows what he's going to do? If I said to you that you had a choice for the next president of the United States, for that president to be named Clinton or Bush? Clinton or Bush, okay? Are you ready? Are you ready to vote with your applause? Okay, here we go. Those of you who would like the next president of the United States to be named Clinton, please show a round of applause. 
Those of you who would like the next president to be named Bush, show your applause. Okay, I thought it might be a little too easy if I asked, you know, for one of the Texans to, to be named, so I'm going to avoid that. Now, I hope, if I've done my job as I've begun my sermon, that I've made you a little bit uncomfortable with those questions, especially those last two. How many of you ever heard the advice growing up that it's a bad idea to talk about religion or politics? Show of hands. Why is that? Be honest for a moment. Show of hands. How many of you felt, actually let's do it with applause. How many of you felt just a twinge of discomfort being asked to applaud for either the NRA or the ACLU, for Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush? How many of you felt uncomfortable? Show of applause. I appreciate your honesty. Now that's not surprising. Difference often causes discomfort. In that vein, I have one more significant theological question that I'd like for you to vote on this morning. People have been struggling with this issue for a while now, and occasionally our divisions over it have caused real challenges. Here it is. Do you like your ketchup cold or room temperature? The cold ketchup people, show of applause. The the room temperature ketchup eaters, show your applause. See, some of you are chickening out on this very divisive question. Some of you thought I was kidding when I said that how you like your ketchup is an important theological question. But what if answering that question wasn't just about your preference? but about figuring out how 15 different people felt about that question and finding a solution that everyone agreed on. Those and other questions were the kinds of things that a group of 15 people in Jackson, Mississippi, who called themselves the Antioch community, were dealing with. Imagine, if you will, living together in intentional community, one house with 14 other people. Some of them married, some of them single, some with kids, some without. Some of them black, some of them white. Some of them were college educated, some of them weren't. But the one thing that bound them all together was that they believed they could learn something fundamental about loving each other and becoming like Jesus by living under the same roof. The man who wrote the story of this experiment is a guy by the name of Chris Rice, who is now the director for for the Center for Reconciliation at Duke University. A couple of decades ago, he was a recent college graduate who had moved to Mississippi from Vermont because he wanted to live, he wanted to experience, he wanted to, to contribute to racial reconciliation. The book that Rice wrote about their experiences is called Grace Matters. And it's not only the story of the Antioch community, it is also the story of Chris's friendship with another person in the community, a guy by the name of Spencer Perkins. Now you'd think it would be easy, wouldn't it? For two men, both of them committed to racial reconciliation, both of them similar in their theological and biblical beliefs to be friends. But most of the time, our deepest relationships are the ones that require the most of us, the most patience, the most humility, the most love. For Chris and Spencer, it was hard because they wanted to be more than just acquaintances. They wanted to be brothers. 
But as hard as they tried, they kept tripping over their differences. That is a dilemma that Christians have been struggling with for a long time. The New Testament was written not because the authors were trying to get book contracts, but because the Christians in the first century were struggling with a a particular set of issues. And so the New Testament writers put quill to paper, if you will, because they were trying to help the early Christian communities deal with specific challenges. And one of the most common challenges was how to take this growing group of individual Christians and help them become a community. That's one of the issues that Paul is tackling in the book of Romans. The church in Rome was one of the oldest Christian communities, we think, but we don't know for sure who founded it. What some scholars think was that it was founded by Jewish Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah foretold by the prophets. There is something, however, that we do know for sure about the church in Rome. In the year 49, a few years after the Roman church was founded, all of the Jews in Rome were expelled from the city by the emperor Claudius because they wouldn't fully submit to imperial authority. So overnight... Church in Rome went from being primarily a Jewish institution to a Gentile institution. About a decade later, the emperor Nero lifted the ban on Jewish people in Rome. And and guess what happened next? Do you think that the church that the Jewish Christians came back to was the same one that they had left? Imagine if you and your family or you and your closest friends suddenly had to leave your church behind. It would be a different kind of church, wouldn't it, if you came back years later. Worship would be different, mission would be different, the community would be different. Well, that's exactly what the church in Rome was dealing with. The the Jewish Christians who returned to Rome had a particular idea about how to be followers of Jesus, and so did the Gentile Christians who had been in Rome all along. And that is probably one of the reasons that Paul says in Romans chapter 12, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and we all belong to each other. I think that's also why Paul goes on to say just a few verses later, Love must be sincere. We are to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. We are to be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above ourselves. We are to live in harmony with one another. We are to be willing to associate with people who are different than us. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with all. Paul wasn't just giving some generic instructions about love to the Christians in Rome. He was helping them deal with the very difficult challenge of being brothers and sisters in Christ, even when they weren't all alike. And he was also helping them understand that their differences were actually something that God could use to help all of them be more like Christ. Chris Rice and Spencer Jenkins were different. Spencer grew up a black young man in the state of Mississippi during the years of court-ordered desegregation of schools. 
He and his sisters were among the first black students at all-white Mendenhall High School a few miles outside of Jackson, Mississippi. On the other hand, Chris was an upper-middle-class white kid from New England. But when he arrived in Mississippi to dive into racial reconciliation, he dived into a world that was dominated by African-American culture. The very first time that Chris was ever in the same room as Spencer, Spencer stood up and asked bluntly, what I want to know is this, what are all you white people doing here? On top of all that, Spencer and Chris were also different in their personalities. Chris was organized but often overbearing. Spencer was creative and visionary but sometimes lacked discipline. And so these two very different men had a choice. They could protect themselves. They could worry about their own individual needs and desires. They could be acquaintances, perhaps, and colleagues, or they could push each other, submit to each other, stop worrying about who was in charge and who got the glory, but instead they could use their very different gifts and experiences for the common purpose of building God's kingdom through racial reconciliation. Even when it was hard, perhaps especially when it was hard, They could, if they wanted to work at it, become more like Christ because they were sharing life with someone so different. So could we. When I started thinking and praying about what I was supposed to say to you this morning, what I honestly felt God was leading me to say to you this morning, two things came powerfully to mind. The first thing I need to say to Truett, is thank you. The original faculty that was here when I was a student has gone on. Two of them are now college presidents. One is retired and two have gone on to be with the Lord. And so I can't thank them today, but it's probably more appropriate for me to thank God and for you to hear me do it. This place left a powerful mark. As a member of Truett's very first class, we were acutely aware that we were guinea pigs, figuring things out together. And that wasn't just the faculty building the curriculum as we were moving through it. It was also the student body forming our theology together. In those days, the Baptist controversy was still raging, and I came here at least in part because I thought I would be surrounded by like-minded people. And in some ways I was, but not in the way that I expected. The people that I went to school with when I was a student here were very diverse. We were young and old. We were from as far away as Rwanda and as close as right here in Waco. And we were diverse theologically. Every day, every day, I sat in class with a five-point Calvinist on my right and a friend who was skeptical about the deity of Christ on my left. It was a challenge to read Colossians with someone whose Christology was very different than mine, to read John Calvin with a Calvinist. Each day in class I was confronted with difference, but every day after class we would go and break bread together, study together, 
pray together. And that shaped me. It still shapes me. How could it not? I wonder if that's what Paul was talking about when he told us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. None of us, none of us are very good on our own at testing and approving what God's will is. The combination of humility and community go a long way at helping us become good at it. Which brings me to the second thing I think that I'm supposed to say to you this morning. And that is to extend an offer of friendship. Today is CBF Day at Truett, which if I'm honest, I think is a terrible name. When I was a student here, one of our professors, a man that I respect immensely, but who had spent quite a bit of time in denominational life, said that one of the things that seminary was supposed to do was denominationalize us. I wasn't entirely sure what that meant, but frankly, it sounded very unpleasant. But here's what I think he was offering with his very unartful statement. And what those of us who are here today are definitely offering to the extent that, as Paul says it, that it depends on us. That is the opportunity to be a part of a community of people that is bigger than all of us. If you hear me say anything to you this morning, here it is. Listen to me when I tell you, you need that. All of us need that. We need it for support and encouragement. We need it for wisdom and know-how. And we need it. Because without being a part of a community that is bigger than we are, where people push us and challenge us, then we can start to believe that we have it all figured out. I don't have time this morning to parse all of the implications of post-modernity with you. But in simple terms, I'll say that the temptation is great and it is growing to custom-build community based on sameness. Increasingly, people choose their schools, their news providers, their friendships, sometimes even where they choose to live based on surrounding themselves with people who share their same worldview. Sociologists call it tribalism. Tribalism is the phenomenon in which people identify themselves exclusively with ever narrower social categories because broad social identification has broken down. We used to live in a world where we assumed that we agreed on most things. Today, we live in a world in which we assume the opposite. And the challenge that that creates for us, it is oh so tempting to custom build our world to our own specifications. But tribalism, as toxic as it can be for us, is actually only a gateway drug for a much older and more troubling phenomenon. You see, when we pick and choose our relationships based on similarity, when we choose our friends because they agree with us, when we choose our sources of information because they confirm what we already think, then what we're really doing is a form of idolatry. As Christians, without learning to share life with and love people who are different, we can start to fall prey to the subtle idolatry of self. 
we will find, if we're not careful, that we have started creating God in our own image. And that's not just true for people in the pew. That is, that is true for us as well, perhaps especially true for those of us called into ministry. There will come a moment, if it hasn't already, when filled with the joy and passion for learning and deep thought that you develop at a place like this, that you will come face to face with the reality of a person in the church where you serve who hasn't been given the benefit of what you've been given here, who is convinced that God is a proud American because the middle three letters of Jerusalem are USA. who believes that the future of your church will be secure if you can just build a playground to attract young families, whose theology is shaped more by Caleb than Karl Barth. And the temptation will come in that moment when that person who sees the world differently than you do because of his or her experiences, that that person will say something or do something different, different than you. And the temptation in that moment will be for you to despise them. For you to look down your nose at them. To think more highly of yourself than you ought, as Paul says. And because of that, to hold yourself at a distance from them. But if you do, you will not only rob them, you will rob yourself of the opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness simply because you held yourself at a distance from someone because they're different. Listen, I'm not suggesting that differences don't matter. I'm not saying that our response to difference is a kind of laissez-faire tolerance. Judgment and tolerance are really just opposite sides of the same coin. Both are passive. Both require little or nothing from me in terms of personal transformation. Here in this seminary, in your churches and throughout CBF, there are areas of disagreement about about really crucial matters like the nature of God, the nature of the church, the nature of mission. We can and should wrestle together over such crucial issues. But along the way, we can also let such differences be a tool that God uses to remind us of this essential truth. There is a God and it is not us. And we can let that create in us a Christ-like humility as we imitate the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. I'm not arguing for diversity for diversity's sake. I'm arguing for the idea that we have to love and engage each other in the midst of our differences for Christ's sake. Spencer and Chris and the 13 other people in the Antioch community continued to struggle. They continued to work at it, and they almost failed. They got to the place where they were about ready to give up. Finally, the tension had grown to a place where they themselves could not dispense with it, and so they asked some, some friends that lived in a different intentional Christian community to come and to provide counsel and wisdom to them. And after weeks of conversation and prayer, those individuals told them, listen, the only problem that we, that we think stands between you and your ability to be the community that you're trying to be is that you think you're supposed to be perfect. You haven't left any room for grace. You haven't left any room for God to be God and not you. This is hard work you're doing 
let grace abound. And so they did. And they learned to love each other. Not despite their differences, but through them. So I say to you this morning, whether your preference is is pork or beef, whether you are a gun toter or a tree hugger, whether you like your ketchup warm or cold, even if you find yourselves at odds in this place, in these halls, about God, the church, or our mission, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Love despite difference. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll not only be able to test what God's will is, you'll be better equipped to do it. Amen.